This is a discourse and Q&A from Shakti Durga's seminar, Relationships as a Pathway to Self-Realization. It explores the nature of consciousness, soul contracts, the power of forgiveness, and the soul's journey to the getting of wisdom. Hi everyone, it's Shakti Durga, and welcome to this episode of the Soul Talk podcast. Each episode is going to feature some of the highlights from live trainings, retreats, online classes, and presentations that I've done around the world. If you find value in it, please text the link to the podcast to a friend or share it with your networks. I look forward to connecting with you soon. Namaste. Our souls, when they were created, immediately started to get creative themselves. And that in that realm of the soul, the soul is living in a garden of Eden. It's a bit like Adam and Eve in the garden before the fall, you know, living in this place where everything is beautiful and there's just, it, it's, a, it's a way of holding consciousness without a physical body but with light and sound as your body. So geometries of light and sound are what the soul's made out of, not flesh. And so in that realm there can be consciousness. It's a big leap for humans to get that one can have consciousness without a body, but it's true. And in fact, science is now catching up with that. And I went to a talk at, where was I? I think I was at Yale University on the east coast of America and there was an eminent lecturer whose name just escapes me, but he was a person who was interested in consciousness And he um, collected a whole lot of stories from hospitals where people had been brought in after traffic accidents or other calamitous, catastrophic events. And whilst they'd been brain dead and the MRI showed absolutely no brain activity at all, the person was later resuscitated and could tell the doctors exactly what was going on in the hospital room while they were supposedly dead and brain dead and no brain. It's not like the brain was being kept active and it still had, you know, anything measurable going on. Nothing. Brain not active. And yet they were able to accurately not only say, oh, well, there was this nurse and there was this doctor, but the details of the conversations they'd had about their kids' birthday parties or their whatever it was, accurate recounting of what had happened in the room whilst they were supposedly dead. And so this has started a whole new branch of research around consciousness beyond the body and how there looks like there is a universal field of consciousness that we are all part of that we partially register in the brain, but even modern neuroscience is telling us that the electromagnetic charge in the brain that's responsible for consciousness is one-sixth the size of the heart's electromagnetic imprint when they measure it. And so they're now starting to have a view in neuroscience that the heart is an organ of consciousness as well as the brain. And in fact, in ancient times, 
it was always assumed that the brain was the heart, that this, they didn't, that might have looked after, I don't know, how your nervous system worked or something and kept the inside of your head full so that your head didn't kind of squish in because there's nothing inside it. But they thought your heart was the place where consciousness lived. And back in the old days, so before, you know, people had writing and educations at universities, people were regarded in accordance with their heart. That's a person of good heart. That's a person of courage. And the French word for heart is core, the root of courage, you know. So that's a courageous person. That's a good person. That's a person of heart was more important than other things. And then, of course, our society's just gone to another extreme where mind is venerated. And I'm not saying the mind isn't important. Of course it is. It's just that we have this other thing as well, the heart. And for me, the heart is the lock on the door to the soul. It's the lock on the door. And if the heart isn't fully operational, we can't get to the non-physicalized consciousness that is us as well. It's us. It's not someone else. It's self. And it's the soul's consciousness. So it drip feeds into us instead of being a flow like Niagara Falls. So imagine what it would be like if you could open the heart and open the flow of your soul's amazing higher consciousness into all parts of your life. But it would require a shift in consciousness for that to happen. It would require that we stop <laughs> stop giving our power and conscious away by saying, well, that's all nothing to do with me. Half of life is not me. Anything I think is bad is out there. It's It's external. I'm just responding to what that bad stuff is, you know. So our soul would require us to take that responsibility. But as I was saying before about the soul, when it starts forming as a soul, and I believe it coalesces a bit like a tornado does out of the sky. So when would you say the tornado starts? Does the tornado start just when you can see it? Or does the tornado start when those clouds start to gather? I mean, what would be the exact starting place of a tornado? Or was it it's part of the sky and then it was part of the earth and the rain and so it's a big cycle. It's hard to say when everything, anything actually starts but because it coalesces out of the infinite sky, the ageless timelessness and it's coalesced and so it's come into this other dimension where everything's heavenly but then it wants to come and experience freedom. It wants to experience creating and it wants to experience being a creative instrument. And so it vol- volunteers to come into a realm where it doesn't have the same luminous presence of all knowledge that it does whilst we're floating up there. Is this making sense? And so it comes deliberately down into this mindset realm, the astral world or the world of the mind, where suddenly you've got polarity. Everything's not beautiful anymore. In half of creation, the divine beauty has been sort of sucked out and in the other half it's been left in. And so you have all the play of consciousness, the play of colour, the play of texture and that we get to create in that. Imagine souls coming down to earth for the first time because from the mind, of course, they pick up an etheric body, then they pick up a physical body. And imagine coming here for the first few times 
because you'd be so in la-la land, you'd be thinking, oh, beautiful, it's such a lovely place, I really like that, I'm going to have that, not realising that that belongs to someone else and you just nicked it, you see. So there's not even any consciousness of wrongdoing because that's a, a construct of ownership anyway, perhaps, you know. So, oh, I've, been, I've stolen something, oh, and then I have the consequences of that or I experience the karma of that when someone steals from me, do you see? And then I get really upset about it and I get bombastic about it and I get victimy about it because you just stole from me and I get angry about that and then I lash out at you and want to punish you, do you see? Well, that's going to create the karma that I have to be punished, you know? And the next thing you know, someone's punishing me, whereas I think it's fair because whatever I did was fair because you nicked something of mine and I'm going to teach you a lesson and it escalates, the whole thing escalates. And then, you know, when the Old Testament was being written, it was normal that if, if you did something to upset someone from another tribe, they wouldn't just come and kill you, they'd wipe out your family. And so when Moses came up with the teaching an eye for an eye, that was regarded as really namby-pamby, wussy sort of new age stuff. So it was seen as revolutionary that, you know, an eye for an eye, whoa, um, that is re- going to require a lot of restraint, you see. But um, And then Jesus came along later and said, forget about eye for an eye, it's actually about forgiving. Forgive. And that's how you'll tidy it all up. And look what they did to him, you know. No one liked what he had to say much. But I do think he was speaking the truth. So we've got all of this stuff going on at a soul level that over time gathers to us through, just think of the minutia of one life and all the things we've done and had done to us, let alone the minutia of a thousand lives. Imagine what might have happened, everything actually including all the things we don't even want to think about, pillage, raping and plundering. It's all happened. And then we wonder why we have problems, you know. (laughs) But there are power tools for getting those problems gone and those include giving, forgiving and serving. They're the three karmic power tools. Forgiving, looking after other people, helping others and giving what you have and particularly what you want give it, give what you want. And these things unlock karma faster than anything else that I've ever seen. And some of our relationship issues that we have are stemming from this deep, a root. They're stemming stemming from souls who had stuff to work out and also souls that love each other too, but they have stuff to work out. And so whenever I have uh, clients come to me and say, oh, you know, I really need marriage counselling and blah blah I always say, look, whether you stay together or you don't stay together, can I urge you to make sure that there's forgiveness, to make sure you work through whatever it is that was between you in a really deep and clean way because if you don't, you're just as likely to incarnate again and in the future there's nothing to say that they're going to be your beloved, could be your mother. Imagine that. It would be bad if there's a big karmic debt hanging there. And and so that's why it is that some mothers don't like their children. It clearly can't be from this life. 
because nature usually takes care of that and there's normal bonding between a mother and a child but there are occasions where people don't like the children and the children don't like them anyone got any comments about this or questions i was just wondering whether you think that some there's some pre-planning in the soul realm before we come to earth and that there's some events <laughs> that actually are sort of predetermined or some circumstances that we still got free will but that I agree I totally agree with you in fact I think our souls sit around in the soul realm and go how you doing do you want to go back yet um when you go back well look I've got these five things on my list that I've got to get cleared what do you got oh all right well no you're not a match I'll go and have a look at this person over here and you end up finding someone who's karmic requirement matches yours i do think there's a consciousness thing that happens so that we end up incarnating in the perfect time space family culture for the things that have to happen to happen to give us the perfect opportunity to heal whatever it was to heal that karma but because most people don't know this and they love blame so we go into that whole thing of you did this terrible thing to me I'm going to do something terrible to you War of the Roses Did anyone see the movie War of the Roses <laughs> If you haven't seen it you should you should get it It's the how not to do a relationship It's an old movie now but I remember being shocked and stunned by the movie but it was a tit for tat thing where they kept doing worse things to each other until they well it's a bit of a giveaway but they end up killing each other but just as they're dying their hands reach out to each other because they actually really love each other and they've just destroyed each other so for one of the fairly new people online she specifically asked if i could ask a question what you recommend for forgiveness just try it it's just one of those things um I think we can try forgiveness but it's like peeling an onion it comes off in layers and that the first thing is to form an intention that you want to forgive and that the forgiveness is not for other people it's for you it's not saying that what the person did to you is right it's not justifying it it's just saying well look I've got all this pain in my heart and the way you empty your heart out is through forgiveness so that's what we do we try and forgive and once you put it into a multidimensional context once you put it into a multi-life context it can be much easier to do because you can have a a, a a rational contemplation that somehow somewhere i must have done that for it to be now being done to me even though i don't remember so with the karma thing yeah Does that mean you have to experience something before you can genuinely understand what that feeling's about? Very often because the ego is a bit thick, you know. Right. And yeah. <laughs> so the coming down to earth thing mm. is the experience. Yeah. So that can't be done in 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 a in the higher consciousness it has to actually have got to come down here. Experience. Okay. That's that's really interesting. Yeah. And most of the pain we ever experience in life comes through relationships, don't you agree? 
It's either someone's hurting you, defrauding you, killing you, raping you. It's, it's all relationship with some other person. But the joy of life comes through relationships too. You know, love, you know, joy, friendship, all of the warmth of human kindness comes from this thing. For me, um, my understanding of why all this play of consciousness is going on is that from the moment the soul just decides that it's going to come and go on this ridiculous adventure down to earth is because it's trying to cultivate a type of consciousness that is rooted in the experience of having gone through the duality and having healed everything that's healable, found the love and come back into oneness again on the other side of it. So it's like a journey from we were in oneness, but we didn't know it. We just, we were it, but we didn't know it. So we go into the land of knowing, but that's the mindset field and that's duality. And then we have all these crazy adventures, get lost, find ourselves, lose ourselves, blah, blah. And then what we do is we come back again into the oneness, but this time we know we're in the oneness. We have full manifest realization of being in the oneness and so it's conscious instead of unconscious and that the light in the soul changes from just the pure white light that everything's kind of created out of it comes in has all these adventures gets in darkness kind of loses itself a bit in darkness but then it is able to find enough light to get through it light being knowledge, light being light. And the white and the dark weave together in a way that eventually you come up with back in the oneness that looks golden. So it weaves the light and the dark together into goldenness and that wholeness of golden light is what the soul's here for. And that's called wisdom. So that wisdom is a golden energy, whereas the sort of unknowing light is just pure whiteness, you see? The soul already is that. It's seeking the gold. And so the soul's agenda is about the getting of wisdom and the getting of love after going through difficulty. The soul's agenda is not staying out of problems. It actually needs problems. It needs things to challenge it so that it can come through the other side in this blazing goldenness that's eternal. And in the West they call that Christ consciousness and in the East they call it Krishna or Lakshmi consciousness. Thanks for joining me on this episode of Soul Talk. I hope the podcast has served you in creating a happier and more abundant life. If you've enjoyed the podcast, don't forget to subscribe, rate and leave a review on your favorite podcast app. If you'd like to connect with me, head over to shaktidurga.com. Kali.